0: I'd like to share for just a few minutes on the title of Multitudes and Multiplication. Multitudes and Multiplication. And, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. I'm going to get there in just a few minutes. How many of you have heard of Priscilla Shire? M- most of you have. She's a, a magnificent speaker. A number of years ago, she told a story that I thought was hilarious. She has three sons. Uh, I, I believe that they're all teenagers by now, but when the oldest son was five years old, he had a loose tooth. Now, now, those of you that are parents and grandparents may understand this, but he was told that if his tooth fell out and he put it under the pillow, that a tooth fairy would come and replace that decaying piece of dental with treasure. And she said, now, he's not a particularly brave young man, but something happened when his first middle tooth began to wiggle, and he recognized there were treasure at the other end of this. And so he's walking around, and he is wiggling this thing back and forth, and, you know, he could turn it sideways, and it just looks ugly until that final root snaps. And one day it did. And he comes running in, and he goes, Mom, my tooth fell out. I can't wait for the treasure. And she says, "Well, you know how that goes. You're going to have to put that under your pillow, and then my husband, who's a six foot three, 250 pound tooth fairy, that's it will take care of you." And so. Her five-year-old son slipped that underneath his pillow, and it was like Christmas. He couldn't go to sleep because he kept reaching under there to find out whether or not that had been replaced or not. And and so it wasn't until 3 o'clock in the morning that her husband peeks in there and finally discovers that the boy is sound enough asleep that he can go in there, reach under, pull out that ugly piece of of tooth, and, and replace it with a couple of treasures. Now the next morning she said, I was in the kitchen getting ready and I could hear the footsteps of excitement above me and the little squeals that were coming from my five-year-old boy as he, as he screamed as he discovered treasure and he comes running down the steps and he comes running into the kitchen and he's got two fists that are closed and he looks at his mom and he goes, Mom, the tooth fairy came and I got treasure. And she said, What did you get? And he opened up one hand and there's a bag Of gummy bears it was his favorite snack and he opened up the other hand and there's a $5 bill and she stood there for a moment and she looked at that bill and then she looked at her tooth fairy husband (laughs) what are you doing do you know how many teeth there are in our boys mouths Now, I don't know about you, but back in my day, if we got a nickel, it was heyday time. If you got a dime, it had more than one root. It was a big tooth. And if you got a quarter, mom and dad got a raise. Five dollars. And so after the young man got all excited and ran upstairs, she walked over to her husband and she says, what in the world are you doing? And he goes, look, just take it easy. Take it easy. How many of you know from time to time, if you're married, you have to tell your partner just to take it easy? (laughs) He goes, let me tell you the rest of the story. You do remember that three weeks ago was his fifth birthday, and we invited all of the grandparents over and all of the cousins, and everybody came over, and we took all of his birthday cards, and we put them in the drawer. At three in the morning, I walked over to that drawer and pulled a $5 bill because everybody had given him a $5 bill out of one of his birthday cards and I put that under his pillow <laughs> and she began to recognize <laughs> that her son was so proud because she had just witnessed him get excited about a treasure that he already owned <laughs> Dave Ramsey would be so proud <laughs> be so proud I came to tell you this morning that there's a treasure hidden in these earthen vessels I came to tell you that by God's Spirit there are gifts and power that have been entrusted to you and that's available to you as sons and daughters of the Most High God. You need to know that even if you don't believe what the Scriptures declare to be true about you, Even if you don't believe that you have been forgiven or that you have the victory or that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, even if you don't believe that there is a competency that God gives you through his Holy Spirit, I need you to know that the enemy believes it even if you don't. And how sad would it be that he knows who you are but you don't know who you are. And so it's time for us this morning to open up the drawer and pull out the treasure that belongs to us. The treasure that some of you have been ignoring. The treasure that some of you have thought was insignificant. And the treasure that some of you have told God it's not enough. Lord, you have said, if I could just be like him. Lord, if, if I could just be like her. Oh, God, if I was just a little bit more of this. Or, or basically what the prayer is. Lord, if I just weren't me. If I just weren't me, then, Lord, I would be enough. And the Lord says to you today, oh, no, oh, no, there is treasure in your life, and I need you to open the drawer and pull it out and put that into my hands. Now turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read the first two verses, and then I'm going to jump down a little bit farther, finish the rest of the story in in, uh, verses 10 and 11, and on from there. Luke 9 1 and 2, when Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. He called them, he gave them treasure, and he sent them out. Moving now to Luke chapter 9, verse 10. And when the apostles returned... They reported to Jesus what they had done. And taking them with him, they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them. Say, He welcomed them. You're going to need to remember that. And He spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and He healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. And Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And they answered, we only have five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all of this crowd because, you know, we're not enough as we are. We, we're just not enough as we currently are. But Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit. Now, now there is a word that we're going to get to a little bit later. This word sit also means Recline. Have them recline in groups of about 50 each. And the disciples did so, and everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up into heaven. Jesus gave thanks and he broke them. And he gave them to the, to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. Say with me, satisfied. Now, you know, if there's leftovers, everybody is satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The first thing I want you to know about this is that Jesus calls. He has called. In this story, we meet a hungry multitude that is placing a demand upon the disciples and upon Jesus There is a lack within their lives that needs to be filled. And most of the time when we look at this passage of Scripture, we do so by focusing on the multitude and how they were provided for. We look at it through the lives of of those that were hungry and the five loaves and the two fish and how they became satisfied. But just for a moment today, I would like to look at this account from a different perspective. I would like you to join me in looking at this through the eyes of 12 disciples. Those who walked with Jesus, those who talked with Jesus, those who were in close communion with Jesus on a daily basis, I want to talk about disciples to disciples. Now, around this room today, as I look around, I know most of you, and I know that most of you, if not all of you, have received Jesus into your heart as Savior. And and for those of you that may have just invited him in, you are as much a part of the family right now as everybody who has walked with him for 40 years so, I want to talk to, dis- to the disciples today. The Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they tell some very similar experiences through the lens of different men. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, it tells us about this that calling the 12 to him, Jesus sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. So, these men, these disciples, were sent out in groups of two to go into the neighboring communities. And they were supposed to preach, and they were supposed to teach, and they were performing miracles so that they could authenticate the deity of Jesus who had empowered them to go. And so they're traveling around doing all of these things in the name of the Lord. And at the end of Mark chapter 6, the Scripture indicates that they had expended themselves They were tired, they were worn out, and they had come back at the end of that time to report back to Jesus everything that they had done in his name and report about the ministry. And it tells us in Mark 6.31 that they had been so busy doing the ministry that because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. I read that and I thought, how many of you have had a busy day like that? where I don't know what happened, but you barely got a few sips of your first cup of coffee and the next thing you know it's supper time, and you haven't stopped yet and you didn't even have a chance to eat and you just know, number one, your stomach is growling and you're hungry and you're tired. How many of you get hangry? You know, a little hungry and angry. Well, we're going to end shortly. I don't want anybody getting angry because it's lunchtime. I do want you to know this. If you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ today, you have a call of God upon your life. There's a ministry that he wants you to do. And some of you may be sitting here going, listen, I'm, I am just a stay-at-home mom. Let me tell you something. If you have chosen to stay home with those kids, don't let anybody tell you that what you're, not, what you're doing is not ministry. Coming up with brand new ways to feed them chicken is ministry. <laughs> Coming up with ways that you can try to make bedtime without a war is ministry. The opportunity that you have to sit down with those children and pray with them and teach them Scripture. Mama, that is ministry, and you are called into ministry. Maybe you're a corporate man or a woman and you're here today, and you may be the only believer that sits around that boardroom table. And everybody that is speaking, nobody has the ideals of business that are foundational to the Word of God but you. And everybody is acting and planning in a way that's way off course from God's divine plan. Let me tell you something. When you're sitting around that boardroom table, don't let anybody tell you that what you're doing is not ministry. High school and college student... You may be the only student who stands for the truth when the professor says, this is the way it is, and you stand up and say, no, sir, no, ma'am, that is not the way it is. Don't let anybody tell you that on your high school or college campus or in your junior high campus that you are not called to the ministry because that is ministry. Every single one of us has an assignment, and the day is coming when, like the disciples, at the end of that day, we are going to have to stand before Jesus And give an account. And here's the thing you never know when that day is going to be. Last Sunday night, I was sitting here during prayer time and I got a text from my cousin in Louisiana that his 25 year old son had just been killed in a car accident on his way home from work. 25 years old. And it began to dawn on me if you're 20 years old and you're only gonna live to 25, you're pretty old. You might be 50 years old, but if you're going to live to 100, you might be pretty young. You see, it's not the age which we have attained. It's when it ends that determines how old or how young we may be. But we all know that we are going to have to stand before God when He says it's time and give an account for what we have done with the assignment that He has given to us. You see, your age is just a number. And you're never fully old or fully young based on that age until you know when the finish line comes. And as a result of that in Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, I urge you or I implore you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. You don't have the opportunity to put things off because you don't know when you'll stand before the Lord. And when I stand before God and I see him face to face, there's only two words that I want to hear. Well done. Do you know he's not going to ask me how many likes I got on Facebook? He's not going to hold up a chart that says, do you know how many Instagram followers you have? He's not going to comment on how well-lit my selfies were. He's going to ask me one question. What did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? And I will give an account For my calling. You see, when God calls, when He calls you, it supersedes any personal ambition that you may have. And as a result, the disciples laid down what they were doing because they heard God call them, beckoning them to do something else, and they immediately obeyed. And the Heavenly Father wanted so desperately to speak to humanity so that they could hear from His Son that they, He sent Jesus in the flesh so that His disciples could hear His call. And in the same way, He has given us the Holy Spirit so that we who have ears can hear what the Spirit has to say to the church and to the world. And the conviction and the unction and the pressing and the fire that is shut up in your bones is sending you in a particular direction. Pay attention when God calls and lays a call upon your life. And then before sending them, he did something else for them. He gave. He gave. In the first verse, it says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority. That means that what he was calling them to do, he was going to equip them to do. What he was calling them to do, he was going to equip them to do. That they would not be able to accomplish this without his equipping. And this is good news for any one of us that feel as if we have a dream that is way over our heads. And we look at the dream that God may have laid upon our heart and we recognize we don't have the money or the time or the energy or the patience or the gifting or the connections to pull that off. But if God has given you a dream, then you need to know that he will equip you at some point in time to see that dream fulfilled. Because he's the caller and he's the the gifter. And he entrusted these disciples with power and authority. Let me tell you something. This is important. And you may want to jot this down. In order to accomplish supernatural tasks, you have to have supernatural capacity. In order to perform supernatural tasks, you have to have supernatural capacity. You can be the most talented person in the world But if you go on your own strength and on your own power, you will not be able to accomplish what God wants to do in and through your life. It requires the power that only God can give you. In fact, the enemy hopes that you will try to accomplish a God-given dream in your own strength. He hopes you'll try because he recognizes that you are not flashy enough, you are not savvy enough, you are not talented enough, and you are not impressive enough to do what God has called you to do on your own. Because He knows that if you lean on your own understanding, then He has nothing to fear from you. But when God calls, God equips. In fact, it tells us in Zechariah 4:6, it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord Almighty. Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It is through him and his power alone that we can accomplish everything he desires. And so he gave them treasure and said, now go. And then he sent them. I want you to notice that Jesus is the one that does the sending. Just As important as the calling is in every one of our life, so is the timing of the Lord for that calling. Not every dream that God gives you is going to be brought forth immediately. There will be times when God will give you a dream and he will give you a call, but there's going to be time that will pass before he accomplishes it because he wants to do a work in you so that you have the inner strength and the inner stability and the backbone that you need in order to carry that call. In fact, there are so many people that crave the spotlight and they're trying to establish something on their own. Let me tell you, if you crave the spotlight and that spotlight hits you before you, are, you, you have the character to carry it, that spotlight will burn you to a crisp. So let God do what he wants to do. He called them and he gave them power and he sent them out and they returned to him to give an account. What I love about this account is that it's really honest with us as it related to what the disciples were feeling at the end of that time. They were tired. They were exhausted. They'd been giving it everything they had and hadn't even been able to eat. There are some of you here today that are sitting in this room and some of you that are watching online right now and you would admit, I haven't done it perf- perfectly, but I have done it purposefully. You have been purposeful about working on your marriage. You have been intentional about that. You are giving it everything you've got. Maybe you're here today, and you have been giving it everything you've got. You've been intentional about that teenager or about that young adult in your home, and you've been giving that kid all the attention that you can, and you're doing everything you can to implant in them a spiritual knowledge. Maybe you're a parent of a child with special needs that has specific issues and you've been doing everything you can. You've gone to every specialist and expert that you can. You've read up on everything that you can so that you can develop that child to be the best that they can be. Maybe you're a single mother listening today or here today and you are doing the best you can and you are tired and you are exhausted and you don't know if you can make it another day. Maybe you're a man or a father here and you're saying, Listen, I am working my tail off trying to provide. I'm doing everything I can just to keep food on the table. And maybe you're here and you've been giving that business or that ministry, that endeavor, everything you've got. And like the disciples at the end of the day, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're empty. And the good news is that when the disciples came to Jesus, he did not tell them at the end of a very busy day, you know, you guys need to go away from me. You need to get yourselves together. You need to clean yourselves up. You need a better attitude. Straighten up. Nope, that's not what he says. In fact, it tells us what it says in chapter 9, verse 10. He, he being Jesus, took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves. Jesus said to these tired disciples, come away with me. What does that say to us? That the cure for your exhaustion is intimacy with Jesus. The cure for your exhaustion is intimacy with Jesus. You can take a holiday, You can take a vacation, take a little sabbatical. You need margin in your life, build that in. But do not step back from intimacy with Jesus. Prayer shouldn't exit just because it's your day off. Your soul can only be replenished when you have intimacy with him. And you're trying to figure out, Lord, you told me that I was going to be replenished. You told me that I was going to be refreshed. You told me that you had something that you wanted me to do. So why would you take me to this place when the multitude is going to begin to crowd around us? And here's the fascinating part of this account as we have read it. Jesus said, come away with me. But the crowds didn't leave them alone. The multitude found out where they were going, followed them where they were going. And then the scripture tells us in the middle of all of that, that Jesus welcomed the crowd, When they were already tired, this tells me something about this account, that the story of the feeding of the 5,000, or actually it was probably 15,000 because they only counted the men, is not just about the 5,000, it tells me that this story is about the disciples. It's not just about the multitude being fed. It's about the disciples being fed physically and spiritually and emotionally. It tells us that the five loaves and the two fish are a gift to the multitude, but that the multitude is a gift to the disciples. You're going, how can that be? It is the multitude that would not leave them alone that finally made them go and open up the drawer to see what they had that they could offer to the Lord. That in the middle of their exhaustion, when the multitude followed them, Jesus didn't tell the multitude to go away. He welcomed them. And they had to place into his hands the multiplying master what they had so that they could see what he would do with it. Listen, there is no replenishing like watching God multiply your loaves and your fish. I'm speaking today to somebody who you have a multitude pressing on you. It may feel like a multitude that's pressing on you in your marriage. It may feel like a multitude is pressing on you and won't leave you alone as it relates to your health or to your finances or in your parenting or in your singleness that is weighing you down. And I need you to know that in the middle of being weighed down, what Jesus is trying to tell you is that there is a drawer that's waiting to be opened by which he has already put something in there that he can multiply if you will look for it and give it to him. That means if you're being weighed down by a multitude that there is a treasure that is waiting to be unveiled And that when you finally take it out and stop acting like God hasn't given you everything you need, and when you finally recognize that your seven in the hands of God will be enough, finally, you stop your striving and say, here it is. I give you what I've got Lord, I know it's just a little bit of gifting and a little bit of talent and a little bit of time and a little bit of money and a little bit of this dream and a little bit of vision, but, Lord, I'm going to pull it out of my drawer and I'm going to take that which you've already given to me and I'm going to give it back to you. And it's really fascinating to me what the disciples did here because it shows just how human they are and just how much like them we are. They're exhausted. Jesus takes them away with him. The crowd and the multitude follows them. And in verse 12... The disciples at the end of the day look at Jesus and say, listen, we don't have food for them. The best thing that you can do is just send them home. Send them away. Send them to the villages. We're in a remote place out here. There's not a lot of grocery stores. I don't don't see a grocery. You send them back where they can find something to eat. And in the middle of that suggestion, I'm thinking, that's what we do oftentimes when we're facing hard times. Oh, God. We pray this way. Oh, God. Oh, God. Send the multitude away. (laughs) please. And the Lord said, I I just welcomed them. Lord, send them away. And oftentimes, we try to wish away what God has welcomed. And Jesus is saying, if there's a a multitude, there's a miracle. And so then, when that doesn't work, they try praying this a different way. And again, this is, this is so me. Maybe it's not you. You're way more spiritual than I am. So when Jesus won't send the multitude away, they said, Lord, send them away. And Jesus says, nope. And so then they say this, well, then send us away. It, it's it's in the scripture. You can see it. It's right there. He said, "Lord, if you're not going to send them to go get something, how about just letting us go? Well, you you stay here with them. We'll go. We're gonna we're gonna get away from them. We'll go into the villages and see what we can find." It's either send them away or send me away. That is just the way we pray. Oh God, deliver me! Deliver me! Lord, what we have here is not enough, so send us away and we'll go into the towns and villages and we'll buy more and we'll accumulate more and we'll get more because who we are and what we have is not sufficient. We are not enough. And that's always been the tactic of the enemy to make you think that you're not enough that currently what you have in your current situation is not enough, that our little seven isn't enough for the multitude that God has welcomed into our life. But if the Lord has allowed that multitude into your experience, that means that just as you currently are, he has given you entrusted treasure, he's given you the power, he's given you the authority, and what he has given you, he's waiting for you to open the drawer and take it out and apply it and put it into his hands. In fact... Jesus almost acts like a parent in, in Mark chapter 6 because he looks at the disciples when they said, we don't have enough, and he says to them, so what do you have? What do you, what do you have? Now, for those of you that are parents, I want you to just to picture a conversation with a teenager. I know it's hard. And this teenager comes to you, and, and, and they're wanting something to do, and it's a week after Christmas. I mean, they just opened their presents. Oh, well, we don't know what to do. And, and, and the parents like, what do you have? And then you can tell by the way that they're about to respond that they're going to get in trouble. So you answer it for them. And you say, go and look. Go and look. That's Jesus to the disciples. They're going, we don't have enough. What do you have? And before they can answer, he goes, go into the crowd and look. Just go look. And so they go and look. Isn't that just the way God dealt with Moses? I'm not enough. Well, what do you have? Go look. I've, I've got a stick. Then take that stick and watch what I do when you put it over the sea. David walks in and he sees a giant Philistine that is harassing the people of God. God says to David, go to the stream and look and see what's there. You're going to find five little stones. Everything you need for this battle I've already given you. Just go look for it. Go look for it. And he says to you and I today, go and look. Spend all of the energy that you've been using complaining about what God hasn't given you. And would you look for what God has given you? And when you find it, then put it into his hands and watch what he does with your five and two because he is the multiplying master. Everything changes when you look and put what you have into his hands, because the Bible says that when they brought the lunch out of all of those people, they, brought, they gave it to Jesus, and, and the Scripture says he received it. And then looking up into heaven, he gave thanks, and he blessed it, and he broke it. Now. If there's 15,000 people waiting on Jesus to break bread and fish, it took a while. I don't care how fast Jesus was breaking. And interesting enough, he fills up baskets, and then he gives the baskets to the disciples, and the disciples go out and feed the people. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're still the delivery system of what I am doing. This is about you and showing you what you have in your life that I can use Can I just tell you that there is a joy in living in the blessing of the favor of God? God's favor is what makes the scale balance your way. God's favor is what makes things look unfair on your behalf. God's favor is what opens doors that nobody can shut. God's favor is what puts you in positions of influence that nobody can take away. God's favor is what you want on your life. And notice the blessing. After breaking it, he gave it and they distributed it. And the entire multitude, the scripture said, was satisfied. Satisfied. And you know how much teenagers eat. For them to be satisfied. There's no leftovers until you're satisfied. They were all satisfied. Worship team, I want you to come please. And I want you to think for a moment about this word satisfied. Now I... I grew up, my dad and mom were in the ministry and so my mom on either Saturday night or Sunday morning would break out the crock pot and she would stick a roast in that baby and some onion soup and potatoes and carrots around that and she would start that thing off on Saturday night at about 225 degrees and and it was just simmering all night long and I know it's after 12 and you're going, "This this is torture. And by the time we got up to go to church that morning, we could start to smell what, what, what it was going to be like. And then by the time we got home from church, we walked into the house and, and it didn't matter how many people we may have brought over. There was, there was enough there. And that Sunday afternoon dinner was the meal. And we could eat as much as we wanted because after we ate that much, all we could do is recline. Do you know that the Greek word that is used in this particular passage of Scripture as it relates to the position of 15,000 people is the Greek word kataklino, which means they laid down in the grass and reclined after they had been satisfied. Jesus said, I'm getting ready to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that you can ask or think. What I will do will satisfy you, satisfy you. That's satisfied. That is satisfied. And then for the disciples' purposes, the Scripture says there's 12 baskets left over, one for each of them. Remember, they'd missed a meal. And Jesus said, I just want to show you what overflow looks like, Just, just a little extra for you. You each get a whole basket. And they were satisfied.